Life is full of events that leave you stiff, sore, tight. Think of the feeling you get after a good stretch. Looser, lighter, maybe even happier. Let's lengthen our perspective in life and celebrate our accomplishments together. The But First Stretch podcast isn't just all about fitness. It's about actual people who are bettering their lives in our collective community. It's about coming together and getting inspired in your own life. It's for people who want to stretch their mind, body, and soul by tapping into their own potential and self-worth. And really cool down after the episode with a brief meditation that ties together the theme. And just a reminder, but for a stretch. Hi, I'm Jen McCracken, and welcome to But First Stretch. If it's your first time joining, I am so glad you are here today. Life has been a little wild navigating life as a family of five and going back to work as a teacher full-time. I've been so grateful for this community that has supported me, supported us. It's common that a friend will take the baby while I'm trying to put tap shoes on my daughter. Or I have some really great people that I'm running with. You never know what will happen early morning with, you know, one out of three of the kids. My husband has a business that helps people achieve their running goals. Whether it's running comfortably or qualifying for Boston, he's your man. He has set up my training plan through April. And to be honest, I feel so much more committed because if I don't do a specific run or workout, I also feel like I'm letting him down. But seriously, he's the best. He's so positive and really knowledgeable, and you can follow him at Choose Your Finish Line. Today's podcast was so fun to record. Our guest on this week's episode is Christian Elliott. Christian Elliott is a health coach whose quest to heal led him to develop True Whole Human with his wife, Nina. Christian has been a coach since 2003 and has logged over 15,000 hours of coaching. He is an author, speaker, educator, and CEO of True Whole Human. I love his message on this episode. He discusses how he loves when he can help clients find their sense of purpose. He sees so much potential in everyone, and it's the biggest reward to have someone see it themselves. So let's stretch our mind, body, and soul. The first portion of the podcast is the warm-up, introducing our guest. Hi, Christian. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background and what led you to create True Whole Human? Well, um, I am kind of a unicorn in terms of background. I've got so many diverse interests that I have um, kind of collected them into building a business that somehow fits me. So um, I, my wife and I run a business called True Whole Human. And the, really the need we saw in the coaching industry, or more specifically the health coaching industry, was just somebody that would take a higher level look at someone's health and help them see all the moving parts. So most of the health world is so niche specific and that can be good for very specific things like training for a triathlon, giving birth. Like there's a lot of great places to have niches, but what we saw missing was somebody to zoom out and look at the landscape of this person's life and say, are you lonely? Are you bored? Are you hungry? Are you, and go through the, all the different aspects that actually influence whether or not someone's health, is on track or what are the biggest obstacles to it and what we found was most of the advice in in marketing or in health or in business is niche down find a small audience and talk to it and i that just never felt right to me i wanted to, to niche up i wanted to zoom out and say how could i create a breakthrough for this person what different 
aspects of their life would I have to uncover or be able to account for in order to create a health breakthrough for this person? And so really it became, let's look at every aspect of it. And so that really, it became a coaching program that is um, designed to look at for the real obstacles. And usually those are the emotional things. Those are the contextual things. Those are the stories you've believed for a long time. And sometimes people are really disciplined with crummy advice and it's finding that too. And, and the emotional puzzle and the, what does a day or week in the life of so-and-so look like? Usually that unearths the actual barriers to getting healthy. And it's way less about how many carbs you're having or how much protein you're eating or how many grams of fiber or how many minutes of cardio did you do? And have you taken this supplement to sleep for this number of hours? Like, those are all important, but void of the big picture, you miss it. So that's really kind of the niche that we found. If there is such a thing for that, it's, it's master generalist rather than specialist. And so that really um, means I put on a lot of different hats throughout the week from coach to trainer, to nutritionist, to pastor sometimes, to counselor, to listening ear, to um, somebody to hold space for quiet. Like I do a lot of different things aimed at saying, what's really the issue here and how would I help this person? I love that. And I love how you said the stories we tell ourselves. That is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, there probably isn't something more the heart of the matter. When you're trying to make change, if you're stuck in a loop of, gosh, what's my problem? Why do I always do this? It never works. And the self-defeating loops that people get in, and that can take any number of flavors, but usually it's just a few stories, a few things they've believed for a really long time and never thought to question that once the, a light is shown on that, it changes everything for the person. Yeah, yeah. So what's the most rewarding part of your job? Oh, man, there are several things. I think probably I, I hit the pillow at night and I, I probably reflect on, you know, the number of clients I coached that day and just hearing their story. So the, the, the moments where they get emotional and they understand themselves better, they realize, wait, I've been choosing this for a long time or I've been believing this or I didn't understand myself in some way didn't realize what the trigger was for wanting or not wanting to do something and to see the light bulb come on their eyes to see them have a little more grace for themselves to see them have hope spring alive where it wasn't before because they realize wait somebody like me has has won and overcome this and and so I'm a dispenser of hope and perspective as much as I am anything else and so to be able to do that on the regular I spend most of my day in meaningful conversation helping people understand themselves and their world a little bit more and so that's probably the part I enjoy the most that the stories that accumulate over the years of just I I met you that was an inflection point and my life went a different trajectory and it wouldn't have if we hadn't met those are the things that probably I find the most rewarding yeah and what's the most challenging part oh man I there's several I think the Knowing the right question sometimes is challenging because there's so many different um, drivers. And when somebody gives me permission to just no holds barred, I can ask them about anything and they will let me go um, into some of the, uh, you could say darker places, but just some of the more tender places is probably a better word where they're um, facing with themselves and, and figuring out, okay, what, what's actually the heart of the matter. And sometimes it's two or three, four, 10 conversations before the two of us are like, Oh, where does that weed in your thinking come from? Because that's like, if we were to analyze that logically, we would both agree that that's not true. So why does it hold place as if it is true? And being able to non-judgmentally and 
curiously shepherd someone through a journey of understanding themselves and their triggers and their emotional hot buttons and then the patterns they've been stuck in. Um, it's challenging, but it's also like it's what I signed up for. I thoroughly love that work, but it is it is work sometimes to actually do the work to find out, okay, what's really behind that? Because you and I both know this isn't rational. And so because we know that, do we have permission to look for a different answer, a different trigger, a different um, longing, a different unmet emotional need? And when they are willing to go there, um, challenging, but so worth it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we're going to dive into the workout portion of the podcast. So can you tell us what options True Whole Human offers for people looking for this transformation? Okay. Yeah. Well, the way we have approached fitness is kind of the way we approach anything else, whether it's diet or lifestyle transformation in general. We try to approach fitness holistically. So our question became, what would it look like to have a holistic perspective on fitness? What would it look like to view exercise or movement more broadly through the lens of, well, I'm not going to stop doing this. And a movement rich life is part of being well. So what would it look like to find habits or ways of being or parts of moving and exercise that I enjoy to be able to sustain that for a lifetime. And sometimes there's just milestones and things you check off your fitness bucket list of lift this much weight, run this race, this fast, et cetera, et cetera, finish whatever challenge it is. But when you, you have the lens to look at fitness and say, there's no one mode of fitness that fell out of heaven. It's the one everyone should do. And there's a perfect workout. And if I just did that every day or three days a week, I would never have to think about it. And unfortunately we live in aging bodies, right? I'm not, I don't like to say I'm anti-aging. I'm, I'm pro-aging gracefully, right? I want to be able to move well with the body I have for as long as I can and not hurt. Mm. Okay, well, there's a lot of different ways to get there. So some of it is what do you enjoy? What um, are you naturally inclined to do? What ways do you uh, have you neglected your body over time? And then we need to kind of rebuild the foundation of it. So uh, kind of the way that we thought about holistic perspective on fitness it was rewinding and saying what does it mean to move right and all the breadth of the ways the body can move and realizing that from birth to early childhood we kind of set this vast neurological wiring of you if you watch my kids but you got young kids too right you watch them play and roll and tumble and mm. flop and do the things kids do kids do they get in so many awkward uncomfortable to us adults positions and they have this vast ability to move their body and be stable in so many ways and as we age and we become good little children and we sit in chairs and we face forward and we um slowly restrict our movement diet down to not much we get really stuck and stiff in movement patterns that aren't that great and we lose some of the buoyancy and flexibility that we naturally had so what would it look like as an adult to move more like a kid like what would it look like to play like you don't have to tell kids how to play. That's just what they do when adults aren't making them do something, right? They just What would it look like to freely move and, and play and to feel alive in your own body and to create a life that's more movement rich where we have not outsourced so much of the way that we meet our needs, but we naturally have reason to be up and down and bend over and to push and pull and exert ourselves and breathe heavy. And what would it look like to reclaim some more of that so that we could move more in our life? And the more you move, the less you need to exercise, which is kind of cool. Um, and then with exercise, what to me is, is the fun part about it is it's such a fascinating, fun, endless tool of many different ways that you could practice something. You could see what you're capable of. You can set new benchmarks and say, I wonder if I could do that. But when movement starts to become medicinal and it's the thing you do to feel better, not just 
get the rush of euphoria, like, yeah, I have the runner's high, or I feel mm-hmm. better about something. But it's actually a tool to move and to exchange the fluid in your body and to make your tissue continue to be supple and to challenge yourself in new ways. That's where it becomes fun. And so that's some of how we framed it. So it's, it's reclaiming your basic movement and then using mis- movement medicinally. And then once you've kind of got a stable body that can handle most positions and, you know, age and capability appropriately, then from there it's okay. Well, what's a well-rounded holistic way to consider exercise within the broader context of movement. And we boiled it down to four areas. So there's strength training, there's cardiovascular training, there's three-dimensional movement, which a lot of people call functional training. And then there's cognitive, which is the brain or neurological element of it that often gets mixed or missed. And so our the way that we conceive of fitness is establish the foundation and then keep what you've got as aggressively as you can using a mixture of a holistic approach to fitness. If you just myopically move into strength training, which is what a lot of us macho guys do, or just yoga, or just soccer, or just Zumba, or whatever, and you, you're you missing some of the benefits the other ones could give you, but in the breadth of recognizing how many ways there are to exercise, it starts to become, there's, there's fun in there somewhere, there's alluring in there, there is camaraderie, there's play, and it's beginning to associate exercise, this discipline thing we all have to do, like, ah, mm-hmm. with, hey, this this could actually be fun. That actually put a smile on my face. I actually felt amazing when I was done with that. And sometimes there's just a, you start because like I had one client hire me many years ago, two years into training. She said, the reason I hired you was because I had this annoying voice in my head that would not be quiet. And the only way I could shut it up about, I'm, you're not exercising and you're supposed to exercise was to hire a trainer. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. 10 years later, I'm still training her. But what she (laughs) found was she loved exercise. She just never knew it because she, had to get over getting started. So once you get into that and you see, wait, there's so many different fun things I can do here. Exercise actually can become fun and something you look forward to. So that's a long answer to your simple question about <laughs> exercise. But No, I, I think that's so fascinating. It is fun to like look at how kids play. Like my mm-hmm. two-year-old daughter sits, like she like squats when she plays. And the thought of me doing that for as long as she is squatting blows right? my mind. I'm like, how is she even comfortable <laughs> right yeah there's so many positions we lose like squatting and if you go to some other countries we would probably call them third world countries they squat at the mm-hmm. bus stop that's just how they they squat versus stand or they're um they don't have toilets right yeah. so you gotta yeah. take care of your business you gotta get all the way down like it, it's just a natural part of how they move mm-hmm. they climb trees and chase after animals they want to eat and and we have so lost movement mm-hmm. and all its richness that um yeah, if you go back and look at kids and you think, wow, what would it take to reclaim that? <laughs> it's amazing. It's and you kind mm-hmm. of you kind of answered this question, but I always love asking trainers in particular this question. But do you have a favorite kind of workout? Is there one we all should be doing? A favorite? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a favorite one. I guess the way I, I've described my workouts to my wife lately is puttering, actually. it's I don't have a, a, a tough mudder I'm training for. I don't have an event. I don't have a... Um, flexibility goal or a, I need to lift this much weight. I've kind of done a lot of those things. And so for me, my, my mode of training is I, I, I try to eat my own cooking and what I just told you, I try to think holistically about in what ways can I challenge my body? So I have a kind of a, I like to walk because I learn a lot when I walk, I do a lot of audio books that way. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, it's almost a mix of me time and exercise. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I usually start with a walk and then I have what I call a hydrating warmup, which is my attempt to get into a lot of those positions I talked about that the kids get into. And I just 
enjoy moving in ways that are not as regular, right? And so that takes, you know, the, I typically walk 20, 30 minutes. I'll have five or 10 minutes of doing this hydrating warm-up, just moving my body in different ways. I'll do a strength training portion of it. So I'm picking up heavy things for 20, 30 minutes. And then somewhere toward the end of it, I usually mix in some sort of um, cardiovascular. And so I get the walking, which is aerobic on the front end. And I want an anaerobic spike somewhere in there. And so it's, I'll push a heavy sled, I'll jump rope, I'll just anything that gets my heart rate elevated to where I can't hold a conversation. And it doesn't need to be more than five, 10 minutes, but something that really pushes my limits that way. Um, and somewhere in the mix of those elements, the cardiovascular anaerobic thing might be a three-dimensional training and bounding and, and rotating and things, or it may be that I did that somewhat with weight. So I'm trying to, I think in terms of that holistically, and so my workouts are typically are 60 to 90 minutes, um, with, with a good walk in there. And my, my fitness goals of late are to feel strong and not hurt. Mm. and um, to know that exercise is so underestimated in its ability to push pain out of your body, let alone reset your mood and improve your digestion and make your body really ready to go to bed when it's time. Um, so, yeah, in terms of a, an event, I don't have one, but I, I have learned that um, there's no one perfect workout we should all do, and so I, because my Rolodex, if you will, of exercises is so vast, um, I can always just say to my body, okay, what would you appreciate mm. today? What would you appreciate next? How are you feeling? Is that going to make you vulnerable? What of the different ways you could get really out of breath sound okay today? And I'm kind of a kid in a candy store in a gym. Either. So <laughs> as long as they have open space, gyms used to be like machines everywhere and there's nowhere to even like do walking lunges or something. And so um, sometimes my workouts are outside, mm. sometimes they're in the garage. And, um, but I, I've come to appreciate movement for how much better it makes me feel and for the opportunity to play or to feel strong or to, in different seasons of life, train for different things. So there you have it. Yeah. So I guess my, this is, I think, a cool question. Can you discuss the intersection of fitness and nutrition in your business? Do you personally have one you prefer to work with clients on more? In terms of a philosophy about nutrition, or what do you mean? So, I guess when you're looking at like the whole person, when some mm-hmm. a client comes to you, um, how do you handle talking about both the fitness element and the nutrition element? And is there a piece that you prefer to work on? Okay, good question. Yeah, so that's quite person specific. So, when somebody realizes the breadth of what there is to learn in either of those two realms, often it's enough to just work on that one thing at a time. So it's not uncommon that with somebody when they start, we work pretty aggressively on nutrition in the front end and we just give them simple things like, let's get you walking, let's do a hydrating warm-up, maybe a little body weight stuff, but we don't go too hard at too many things at once because that's one of the biggest ways to demotivate yourself. I can't do it all, it's too much, I'm a bad student, I'm never gonna get, like, you get in those loops of (laughs) overestimating how much you can get done and in the crashing down of your perspective and reality hits you in the face it, it can be unsettling or defeating and so i we do a, a really good job typically on the front end of saying okay are you crazy for thinking we can do this much because i can always give you more than you can handle mm-hmm. and that's not fun like overwhelm is going to often come in waves when you're trying to become a new person because it's just an awareness that you're trying but when it comes to um fitness and nutrition obviously they reinforce each other and so usually one of the barometers is where are you most motivated to change right now what would you actually like to see improved what would be a series of small wins that would be meaningful to you that we could string together and when it comes to fitness 
it often it is the, the clientele I work with is typically you know older, of, of, you know forties and older, and they have a um, often a body that's pretty broken down, and just simple things like walking or moving or being comfortable on the floor with their own body weight is hard enough, and so getting them to be consistent at doing restorative type of workouts or posture type of workouts um, is the win. And then most all of them appreciate kind of what I laid out to you. Like, let's not swing for the fence. We don't need to go high intensity interval training on week two. We're going to get you like your, your connective tissue is going to take weeks to months to change anyway. So let's just be, let's do this methodically. And the average client sticks with us for about a year because they're so, as you realize we have to work within how the body changes. And if we want to be super fit, great, but the body can only change so fast. Mm-hmm. And if your diet and your sleep and your stress level and your emotions aren't really on help helping us out, then exercise can just be another form of stress. So um, we try to just assess where they are, make sure we've rebuilt their foundation. And then when it comes to nutrition, it's kind of the same thing. What do you know? What do you not know? And often a filter I put to the experience of coaching is how many hours a week are you already doing these types of things? And can we just optimize it? If you're already working out three days a week, great. Let's just see if we can make that time a little bit more um, on mission, a little more targeted. And then with fitness or with nutrition, you're probably already eating. Are you cooking? Are you always dining out? What's your shopping like? And and we just start to optimize and get into those things. But um so yeah, I can talk at depth about either of those, but did that answer your question? No, I think that's great. And you're kind of starting to answer my next question is what kind of, if you could offer one piece of nutrition advice, what would it be? One, huh? Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'd say I could give you a, a philosophy. If you could study the Weston A. Price Foundation and the wisdom that Weston Price found um, back in the early 1900s or the first half of the 1900s, um, that would probably help you hit nutritional bedrock as quickly as possible. Um, but one piece of advice, I, I mean, probably starting to read labels. If you have an understanding of what's actually in your, you have to informed, have to be informed in order to read the labels. But if you have a sense of what's actually food and not food, what's food like substances or the different ways that um, food has been so manipulated and become a tool of politics, it has become a um, an industry unto itself, like pick any other industry that maybe we're not so fond of these days and <laughs> realize that food is business too. Mm-hmm. And they're there to sell you as much as they can and to challenge the problem of the fixed stomach that can only hold so much. How would we get more in these humans? There's a reason we're, we've become so obese. So if you mm. um, can study like a book like Beyond Labels to understand what food really is um, and know that what's What's actually in that has so much more to do with whether or not you can gain physical fortitude from it or whether you're just filling your stomach stomach and turning off your hunger mechanism. Um, so those are my answers today. You ask me tomorrow when you may get different ones. <laughs> <laughs> those are the two things that come to mind as, as probably most foundational when it comes to nutrition. Uh, I think that's great, and I do, you know – I agree wholeheartedly on that. You know, there's so many things that we don't think about when buying food or going to the store that it's helpful to be more aware and more mindful. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's food is, um, there's probably no, nothing in the entire realm of health that ends up being more confusing to people or has more conflicting information than nutrition. Mm-hmm. And to be able to hit bedrock and go, Oh, I get it now. Like I see, you can see through marketing, you can see through 
nutritionism like it's got some science but it's also like completely missing this other thing and it's way too supplement or powder heavy or, or whatever the um the angle somebody wants to take we have kind of broken up with an attachment to any particular item we can sell when it comes to nutrition and we're just we're supplement minimalists and we think most of what you need you can get from food mm. but the sacrifice the trade-off to that is it's work most of what we have come to eat these days has been so outsourced to other people that were divorced from an appreciation for how much work it took to grow your food or to mm -hmm. make your bone broth or to braise your meats or to um, ferment something. We don't understand how to make things nutritious. And there's a learning curve that just has to be digested, so to speak. And you have to come to peace with the fact that to, to eat well, I'm not going to go out to eat very often. My food budget is going to go up and I'm going to have to learn how to cook more. Mm -hmm. And once those once you become emotionally okay with it, there's, you know, my, my wife and I first got married. One of the things we said was food costs what it costs. We're not going to begrudge that good food has a higher price tag. We're going to buy our health insurance this way and skip a whole lot of pain and suffering other ways. And we just became <laughs> price insensitive. It doesn't mean we don't look for mm -hmm. the best deals we can within the type of food we want, but we're not going to cut corners when it comes to what we eat. And so that meant we had to read a lot of labels and get good at, understanding okay if we're going to actually do bone broth if we're actually going to make our own ferments if we're going to go out of our way to figure out how to cook grass-fed versus grain-fed there's a learning curve but as soon as that becomes welcomed and you appreciate why you're doing it uh, you you reduce almost all the emotional friction and then it's just this is what it takes to give a good to live a good life i'm so glad i found this information and you adjust accordingly absolutely and one of my favorite parts that you have on your website is your blog about overcoming the lack of motivation. Uh, yeah. Can you share some of the takeaways with us? Because that's right up my alley. I'm so fascinated by motivation. Yeah, okay. Well, me too. Because I, I, <laughs> writing this series was as much – and it's, we, it, we, I started the idea February of 2021. I, it was, we were in that – I guess ironically back in February. Now, the, the season of the year – we're like winter's still here and it's dark still and it's cold. And it's typically the month we found historically where clients are the least motivated. And so I wanted to, I just started asking the clients we had at the times, what, what are the biggest emotional boulders or sinkholes you feel like you have right now when it comes to motivation? And so just kind of thought on it, got a list of it. And then it turned out to be an exercise and, and really facing myself because ironically writing about motivation there were times when I didn't feel motivated <laughs> and so I had to step back and say okay Elliot why do you not feel motivated like what's actually going on and and so that I guess if I were to sum up that series as an eight-part series that the first six really are the emotional puzzle of it and the last two like the the biology of it or even the just the environment that you're in can be demotivating but I guess one of the biggest takeaways that probably is most helpful for your audience or anybody wrestling with motivation Yes, it was the first one. It's the concept of unmet emotional need. And when you can recognize that when you don't feel motivated to do something, usually what that means is there's an emotional need that you have that's not met. And usually it's unconscious. We don't know what it is that we're missing. And sometimes you can get close to, I'm just lonely. That's the one. Mm -hmm. I, I feel unheard. I feel misunderstood. I feel frustrated. I feel like I'm not making progress. I feel like I don't matter or I don't have answers for this. So like, those are usually the drivers of what just sucks our most motivation 
right out from under us. And we, we don't have the um, awareness often to pause the moment and say, okay, what am I really feeling? And am I going to the fridge because I'm actually hungry or am I just bored or am I frustrated or am I mad? Or Because food can be such an amazing source of comfort or another way of saying it is flipping your emotional state. If I feel this way and now I feel different because I ate something. Never mind the short little, little pop of, okay, now you're going to feel worse that you did that and we have a different <laughs> problem. But the self-awareness to say, what am I actually wanting right now? What If I don't like this emotional state, what would be a better one? And to be able to ask yourself that question, usually you start to solve at least the awareness piece of motivation and hopefully in a sober moment removed, it's almost like you pause it, you step back from it and say, why am I feeling this way? If you can get an answer, then usually what your analytical brain is working and you can say, well, what could I do right now that would be non-self-sabotaging that would actually help me feel like the motivation's back? And sometimes what we end up doing is we have to pause that moment sometime removed from it when we're not back in it and say, okay, that happened once. It's probably likely to happen again. What would I have to change in order for that not to become a pattern for me? What new boundaries would I set up? What new thought would I arrest in my thinking that wouldn't, um, what would I replace it with? What true thing could I believe? Who could I reach out to? There, there are answers for that. Um, but your motivation is always going to come back to people. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who you are. We are here to matter to others. It's, it's funny to me when people say, I don't care what other people think. I'm like, baloney. We all <laughs> care what people think. We don't need to care what everyone thinks, but we do care what some people think. And if what we're doing is in conflict with the idea that um, I don't care what other people think, we're, we, well, we, you're, you're driven because you want to be significant. Mm. You want to matter. You want your life to be important to someone. And sometimes we're not motivated because we don't feel like we matter to somebody and we don't know how to matter or where to aim ourselves. And a lot of the work I do ends up helping people find their sense of purpose you find that and boy it's really easy to get up on time and it's easy to get your workout in and eat well and because i know what i'm here to do i feel like i'm on mission when i wake up every day i feel like people need me and i matter so you really do care what people think right mm-hmm. so it's there's so many different aspects of that it took me several months to actually write that because it really it slowed me down and facing myself and facing client stories and trying to understand um i may end up writing more about it i don't know because there's always a new wrinkle to the puzzle mm-hmm. but human motivation is fascinating and then when you realize there's only a handful of drivers it's probably a dozen or so that every single person on the earth has nobody fights it of course i want to feel loved okay mm-hmm. <laughs> we can work with that one and when you understand that there's just you know a handful of emotional needs you have and you can figure out where to aim them usually you can get the motivation right back i love that and i think the whole idea of finding a sense of purpose, finding like what I can offer is so important. And most of the time, this is why I always suggest like working with a trainer or a coach or somebody that can, you know, even, even to some extent, a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who can really tap into your strengths and help you realize what they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's probably one of the things I love the most about coaching is that somebody framed it for me one time that a coach is someone who observes and sees you when you're on the field and you can't think of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Their, their job, really the the way I view my coaching is I I get to see this unpolished stone. I get to see this gem that just with some effort can be polished and brought to the world and offer Mm -hmm. so much more. And to be able to see the potential that is in people and to help them see it, to help them believe it, to give them enough wins 
to actually start to believe in themselves and then to go make a difference. That's a, a, a professional sports coach is probably the most akin to what we do because, or even a financial planner, like our, we're, our job is to mm-hmm. zoom out and look at all the landscape. What inputs are in this person's life that would be influencing them as a, as a, you know, if you're a football coach, you're looking at the teammates, you're looking at what the other team's doing. Like how many cl- seconds are left on the clock? How many timeouts? Yeah. Like you're looking, you have to stay high level and think on a different level than the person that's in the game playing at their life. And when, if you, if you take to that work, it is so much fun mm-hmm. to do it because it's an endless um, iteration of how do you become more. And yeah, so that, those are my thoughts on, on your comment about coaching. <laughs> so this is our next big question. I'm going to put your website in the show link so pe- or the show okay. notes so people can see it. Um, how yeah. can we get in contact with you other ways, like via social media, to schedule a consultation, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. So we are currently transitioning off of most of the, I guess, what you could call conventional or normal social media channels. So we are moving to something called Mighty Network. So you can, you'll be able to find us at truewholehuman.social is where we're going to start basically um, building an audience where we can talk about whatever we want. And mm-hmm. Big Brother doesn't get to tell us what we can and can't talk mm-hmm. about. So yeah. uh, truewholehuman.social will be where you can find us for our social. Our website is just truewholehuman.com. That's um, where you can find out about our coaching. Um, and we, we're just in the business of creating health breakthroughs. So um, you can also follow my blog, which is deconstructingconventional.com, where I write about health, fitness, nutrition. I have several articles about COVID, as you know, motivation and whatever puzzles my clients are typically facing or I feel like is the next problem I need to solve. Those are typically what I write about. So um, if somebody wants to email me, they could just send an email to Christian at truewholehuman.com. Awesome. And I always like to wrap up with three questions for everyone. Just a little bit about you. Um, What are some stretches you're doing in your own life? And this could be general, not fitness related at all. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. let me see if I can give you more than one. Now, you said stretches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, yeah, my hydrating warm-up is my physical, mm-hmm. actual stretching my joints. So that would be, there's there's probably about 10 moves I do every day that only take me about five or 10 minutes to do. But um, you can, I, there's a video of that on my blog. You can actually find the hydrating warm-up if somebody wants to duplicate that. Awesome. Um, stretching myself, I guess, I, I'm, we're currently stretching ourselves to build a new program we're calling the Sovereignty Project. And um and I use that as an example of stretching because there's a mix of like, holy cow, this is like, this is about the biggest thing I've taken on. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that when I have a mix of nervous and excited of like, oh, geez, am I, am I the guy for this? Am I up for this? Usually that's me aiming in the right direction. And it's, there's some level of calling. So I tend to look for things that are going to stretch me to grow into skills I don't yet have, or in ways I have not yet developed as a person. And so um, for any of your listeners, just whatever way that you can think of, how would I challenge myself? Like, oh, that's a big ask, but I feel like I need to grow that way. You're probably thinking in the right realm and then just finding the right guides for whatever it is you're looking to do. There's a, I think Scott Adams had a quote. If you want to find out, or if you want to be successful at something, find out the cost and then pay it. And it's like, okay, if I want to be good at this next thing that we're building, I got to figure out what I don't know to do it. And what I love about being a coach or being an entrepreneur is that I constantly have to learn in order to be good at my job. And so I am always having podcasts and books and other people in my ear, in my eye and in conversation that are, that sharpen my thinking and help me become more than I am right now. And I hope in six months I look back on what I'm doing now and be like, wow, I'm so much better at it. And I hope that keeps happening forever because I, 
I never want to not be stretched in some way. So I guess that would be my answer to that. That is such an amazing answer to that question, right? Like stretching yourself (laughs) to become better or different or the person that you're supposed to be. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) it clicked for me years ago that that there's enough times in your life that you come across a mind-blowing paradigm where you're just like, whoa, I just saw something completely different. The way I had viewed it before was either so limited or just inaccurate that it it awakened this, like, what else do I not know? How many other amazing things out there would totally revolutionize or blow my mind if I understood it well? And so I have just become so interested to, to meet people who have different backgrounds and skills and experiences and who challenge me with my thinking rather than just echo chamber what I think. It's so much more fun to be stretched because once you realize you don't know everything and you've taken the pressure off yourself to pretend to be perfect all the time, and you can just go, no, I don't know that. Tell me more. <laughs> it gets a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what is something you're enjoying doing in your life for you? For me, ooh, I would say, I mean, I live in Florida. So for me, a great day, a great weekend day would be taking my wife to the beach and ha- not having much of an agenda. That mm-hmm. would be, that is high levels of therapeutic for me. So we're fortunate enough to have kids now that are old enough to babysit. So once in a while, we probably a couple times a month, we're like, okay, you guys get to watch the kids. Mom and I are going to go on a date and go to the beach and go get something to eat or, or whatever. That to me is really good medicine. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. It's, per- it's what you need is in any partnership. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> and what is something you can't stop talking about? Ooh, Whew, several things, I guess. Um, what can I not stop talking about? It, personally or professionally? Do you have you want to aim me on that one? Um, let's do let's do personally. Why not? Okay, personally, I think the thing I can't stop talking about would be um, the the volume of things I'm learning. Like I, it's hard for me to be quiet about. Um, like most people, I suppose, in the last couple years, um, I've had a rethink on a lot of the way I've seen the world. Like mm-hmm. with COVID. Um, I've become much more open even than I was to questioning all sorts of things where I thought I had understood history or had the world by the tail and knew more than I did. I've repeatedly been knocked down a couple of pegs and recognized, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. <laughs> and to have my paradigm blown up about banking, about contagion, about electricity, about weather, <laughs> mm-hmm. so many different aspects of, um, what I thought I knew somewhat well, but, um, Personally, professionally, I can't stop talking about um, some of the um, – there's the, the reframing, the unmooring experience, yet freedom experience of awakening. Like to, to learn things, it's it's a little um, disheartening at times, and it's also liberating mm-hmm. to feel like I'm not unaware of what's going on anymore. So um, I have a hard time not talking about that. Um, and it's actually translating into the program I mentioned earlier that we're building the sovereignty project is like, geez, what does it take to disentangle from this mess? Mm, (laughs) So those are the things, um, it's personally, it probably, what does it mean to break up with a spirit of fear to, to not be led by that? And to say, I I defy you to make me afraid anymore. I, and Mm. you know, I, I can't say I'm perfect at it. There's, it's a repeated admonition in scripture to not be afraid. Oh, there's probably a reason for that because we're not very good at always clinging to what's true. But um, I do my best to um, eat my own cooking and, and not be afraid and to step out and say, okay, what else do I not know? 
what would it mean to actually be bold enough to talk about this stuff? And so there you have it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for spending this time to be on this episode of But First Stretch. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jen. It was so great to connect with Christian Elliott on this episode. I hope you enjoyed him. I hope you enjoyed his message and definitely feel free to reach out for him if something he said resonated with you. I wanted to tie together the theme of the episode with a meditation for our cool down. And I'm just going to have you find a comfortable seat. And I know some people like to meditate on their back, but this one might feel a little bit more authentic seated. I'm just allowing the spine to grow nice and long. When you get to that comfortable position, just gently relax your hands down, maybe on the leg next to the floor. Gently stack your hands if that feels comfortable. Lowering the gaze or closing the eyes, take a breath in and take a breath out. inhale here and exhale out and just bring your mind to this present space maybe even just noticing your inhaling and exhaling pattern your life is significant Your purpose is becoming evident. Your potential is untapped. It's ready to be released. You're welcome to stay here. In this meditation, you're welcome to gently blink the eyes open, coming back into the present moment. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of But First Stretch. I hope you have a wonderful day.